Section 38 of the Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, the Warren Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, the Warren Commission Report, by the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy. Chapter 6, Investigation of Possible Conspiracy, Part 15 Ruby's Background and Associations In addition to examining in detail Jack Ruby's activities from November 21st to November 24th and his possible acquaintanceship with Lee Harvey Oswald, the Commission has considered whether or not Ruby had ties with individuals or groups that might have obviated the need for any direct contact near the time of the assassination. Study of Jack Ruby's background, which is set out more fully in Appendix 16, leads to the firm conclusion that he had no such ties. Business Activities Ruby's entire life is characteristic of a rigorously independent person, he moved from his family home soon after leaving high school at age 16, although a family residence has been maintained in Chicago throughout the years. Later, in 1947, he moved from Chicago to Dallas and maintained only sporadic contact with most of his family. For most of his working years, and continuously since 1947, Jack Ruby was self-employed, Although he had partners from time to time, the partnerships were not lasting, and Ruby seems to have preferred to operate independently. Ruby's main sources of income were his two nightclubs, the Carousel Club and the Vegas Club, although he also frequently pursued a number of independent, short-lived business promotions. Ruby's business dealings are described in greater detail in Appendix 16. At the time of the assassination, the United States claimed approximately $44,000 in delinquent taxes, and he was in substantial debt to his brother Earl and to his friend Ralph Paul. However, there are no indications that Earl Ruby or Ralph Paul was exerting any pressure for payment, or that Ruby's tax liabilities were not susceptible to an acceptable settlement. Ruby operated his clubs on a cash basis, usually carrying large amounts of cash on his person. Thus, there is no particular significance to the fact that approximately $3,000 in cash was found on his person and in his automobile when arrested. Nor do his meager financial records reflect any suspicious activities. He used his bank accounts only infrequently, with no unexplained large transactions, and no entries were made to Ruby's safe deposit boxes in over a year prior to the shooting of Oswald. There is no evidence that Ruby received any sums after his arrest except royalties from a syndicated newspaper article on his life and small contributions for his defense from friends, sympathizers, and family members. Ruby's Political Activities Jack Ruby considered himself a Democrat, perhaps in part because his brother Hyman had been active in Democratic ward politics in Chicago. When Ruby was arrested, police officers found in his apartment ten political cards urging the election of the conservative Democratic slate. 
but the Commission has found no evidence that Ruby had distributed that literature, and he is not known ever to have campaigned for any political candidates. None of his friends or associates expressed any knowledge that he belonged to any groups interested in political issues, nor did they remember that he had discussed political problems except on rare occasions. As a young man, Ruby had participated in attacks upon meetings of the German-American Bund in Chicago, but the assaults were the efforts of pool hall associates from his predominantly Jewish neighborhood rather than the work of any political group. His only other known activities which had any political flavor possessed stronger overtones of financial self-interest. In early 1942, he registered a copyright for a placard which displayed an American flag and bore the inscription, Remember Pearl Harbor. The placard was never successfully promoted. At other times, he is reported to have attempted to sell busts of President Franklin D. Roosevelt, the rabbi of Ruby's synagogue expressed the belief that Ruby was too unsophisticated to grasp or have a significant interest in any political creed. Although various views have been given concerning Ruby's attitude toward President Kennedy prior to the assassination, the overwhelming number of witnesses reported that Ruby had considerable respect for the president, and there has been no report of any hostility toward him. There is also no reliable indication that Ruby was ever associated with any communist or radical causes. Jack Ruby's parents were born in Poland in the 1870s, and his father served in the Tsarist Russian army from 1893 to 98. Though neither parent became a citizen after emigrating to the United States in the early 1900s, the evidence indicates that neither Ruby nor his family maintained any ties with relatives in Europe. Jack Ruby has denied ever being connected with any communist activities. The FBI has reported that prior to the shooting of Oswald, its nationwide files contained no information of any subversive activities by Ruby. In addition, a commission staff member has personally examined all subversive activities reports from the Dallas-Fort Worth office of the FBI for the year 1963, and has found no reports pertaining to Jack Ruby or any of his known acquaintances. The commission has directed considerable attention to an allegation that Jack Ruby was connected with Communist Party activities in Muncie, Indiana, on the day after Oswald's death, a former resident of Muncie claimed that between 1943 and 1947, a Chicagoan resembling Ruby, and known to him as Jack Rubenstein, was in Muncie on three occasions and associated with persons who the witness suspected were communists. The witness stated that the man resembling Ruby visited Muncie during these years as a guest of the son-in-law of a now-deceased jeweler for whom the witness worked. A second son-in-law of the jewelry store owner suggested that he may have known Ruby while the two resided in Chicago, but the son-in-law whom Ruby allegedly visited disclaimed any acquaintanceship with Ruby. Both the sons-in-law denied any communist activities, and the Commission has found no contrary evidence other than the testimony of this witness. On the first two occasions on which Ruby is alleged to have been in Muncie, 
Military records show him to have been on active military duty in the South. The witness also said that the man he knew as Rubenstein owned or managed a nightclub when he met him, but the commission has no reliable evidence that Jack Ruby ever owned or worked in any nightclubs when he lived in Chicago. The witness further stated that on one occasion he found the name of Jack Rubenstein, or perhaps a similar name, together with the names of others he believed were communists, on a list which had been left in a room above the jewelry store after a meeting was held there. The witness said he gave the list to his wife's cousin, now deceased, who was then the chief of detectives in Muncie. However, neither the list nor a person identifiable as Jack Ruby has been located after a thorough search by the FBI of its own files and those of the Muncie Police Department, the Indiana State Police, and other agencies. The witness did not recall seeing Rubenstein in Muncie during the period of that meeting, and he had never heard Rubenstein say anything which would indicate he was a communist. The FBI has interviewed all living persons who the witness stated were involved with Ruby in communist activities in Muncie. One person named by the witness was known previously to have been involved in Communist Party activities, but subversive activities files have revealed no such activities for any of the others. The admitted former communist denied knowing Ruby and stated that the jewelry store owner was not known to him as a communist and that communist meetings were never held above the store. All other Muncie residents named by the witness as possible associates of Ruby denied knowing Ruby. Similarly, fellow employees of the witness, whom he did not claim were communists, knew of no communist activities connected with the jewelry store owner or any visits of Jack Ruby, and FBI informants familiar with communist activities in Indiana and Chicago did not know of any participation by Ruby. Finally, the witness testified that even though he believed as early as 1947 that all of the persons named by him were communists, he never brought his information to the attention of any authority investigating such activities except for providing the alleged list to his cousin. The Commission finds no basis for accepting the witness's testimony. The Commission has also investigated the possibility that Ruby was associated with ultra-conservative political endeavors in Dallas. Upon his arrest, there were found in Ruby's possession two radio scripts of a right-wing program promoted by H. L. Hunt, whose political views are highly conservative. Ruby had acquired the scripts a few weeks earlier at the Texas Products Show, where they were enclosed in bags of Hunt food products. Ruby is reported to have become enraged when he discovered the scripts and threatened to send one to Kennedy. He is not known to have done anything with them prior to giving one to a radio announcer on November 23rd, and on that day he seemed to confuse organizations of the extreme right with those of the far left. On November 21st, Ruby drove Connie Trammell, a young college graduate whom he had met some months previously, to the office of Lamar Hunt, the son of H. L. Hunt, for a job interview. Although Ruby stated that he would like to meet Hunt, seemingly to establish a business connection, he did not enter Hunt's office with her. 
an allegation that Ruby was a visitor at the home of Major General Edwin A. Walker, resigned U.S. Army, appears totally unfounded. The allegation was made in late May 1964 to an agent of the U.S. Secret Service by William McEwen Duff. Duff, who was discharged from military service in June 1964 because of a fraudulent enlistment, disclaimed any knowledge of Ruby or Oswald when questioned by FBI agents in January 1964. Another allegation connecting Jack Ruby with right-wing activities was Mark Lane's assertion, mentioned previously, that an unnamed informant told him of a meeting lasting more than two hours in the Carousel Club on November 14, 1963, between Jack Ruby, Patrolman J.D. Tippett, and Bernard Weissman. Although the name of Lane's informant has never been revealed to the Commission, an investigation has been conducted in an effort to find corroboration for the claimed Tippett, Weisman, and Ruby meeting. No employee of the Carousel Club has any knowledge of the meeting described by Lane. Ruby and Weisman both deny that such a meeting occurred, and Officer Tippett's widow has no knowledge that her late husband ever went to the Carousel Club. Some confusion has arisen, however, because early Friday afternoon, November 22nd, Ruby remarked that he knew the Tippett who had been shot by Oswald. Later, Ruby stated that he did not know J.D. Tippett, but that his reference was to G.M. Tippett, a member of the Special Services Bureau of the Dallas Police Department, who had visited Ruby establishments occasionally in the course of his official duties. Larry Crayford was unable to recognize photographs of J.D. Tippett, and had no recollection of a Tippett, Wiseman, and Ruby meeting at any time. However, uncertainty was introduced when Crayford identified a photograph of Bernard Weissman as resembling a man who had visited the Carousel Club and had been referred to by Ruby as Weissman. In a subsequent interview, Crayford stated that he believed Weissman was a detective on the Dallas Police Department, that his first name may have been Johnny, and that he was in his late thirties or early forties. As set forth previously, Bernard Weissman was a 26-year-old New York carpet salesman. Crayford added, I could have my recollection of a Mr. Weisman mixed up with someone else. Ruby's conduct on November 22 and 23, 1963, corroborates his denial that he knew Bernard Weissman. Ruby expressed hostility to the November 22nd full-page advertisement to many persons, to none did he give any indication that he was familiar with the person listed as responsible for the advertisement. His attempt on November 23rd to trace the holder of the post office box shown on the Impeach Earl Warren sign and to locate Weisman's name in a Dallas City directory also tends to indicate that, in fact, he was not familiar with Weisman. Had he been involved in some type of unlawful activity with Weisman, it is highly unlikely that Ruby would have called attention to Wiseman as he did. Investigation has disclosed no evidence that Officer J.D. Tippett was acquainted with either Ruby or Oswald. Neither Tippett's wife nor his close friends knew of such an acquaintanceship. Tippett was not known to frequent nightclubs, and he had no reason during the course of his police duties to enter Ruby's clubs. 
although at the time of the assassination Tippett was working weekends in a Dallas restaurant owned by a member of the John Birch Society, the restaurant owner stated that he never discussed politics with Tippett. Persons close to Tippett related that Tippett rarely discussed political matters with any person, and that he was a member of no political organization. Telephone records for the period following September 26, 1963, revealed no suspicious long-distance calls from the Tippett household. Tippett's encounter with Oswald following the shooting of the president is indicative of no prior association between the two men. Police radio logs show that, as part of general directions issued to all officers immediately after the assassination, Tippett was specifically directed to patrol the Oak Cliff area where he came upon Oswald. His movement from the area which he had been patrolling into the central Oak Cliff area was also in conformity with the normal procedure of the Dallas Police Department for patrol cars to cover nearby districts when the patrol cars in that district became otherwise engaged, as occurred after the assassination. Oswald fit the general description, which 15 minutes after the assassination was broadcast to all police cars of a suspect described by a bystander who had seen Oswald in the sixth-floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. There is thus no basis for any inference that in approaching Oswald, Tippett was acting other than in the line of police duty. Allegations of Cuban Activity no substantiation has been found for rumors linking Ruby with pro- or anti-Castro Cuban activities, except for one incident in January 1959, when Ruby made preliminary inquiries as a middleman concerning the possible sale to Cuba of some surplus jeeps located in Shreveport, Louisiana, and asked about the possible release of prisoners from a Cuban prison. No evidence has been developed that this project ever became more than a possibility. Ruby explained that in early 1959, United States sentiment toward Cuba was still favorable, and that he was merely pursuing a money-making opportunity. During the period of the Jeep sale, R. D. Matthews, a gambler and a passing acquaintance of Ruby, returned to Dallas from Havana, where he had been living. In mid-1959, he returned to Cuba until mid-1960. On October 3, 1963, a telephone call was made from the Carousel Club to Matthews's former wife in Shreveport. No evidence has been uncovered that Matthews was associated with the sale of jeeps or the release of prisoners, or that he knew of Oswald prior to the assassination. Matthews's ex-wife did not recall the phone call in October of 1963, and she asserted that she did not know Jack Ruby or anybody working for him. In September 1959, Ruby traveled to Havana as a guest of a close friend and known gambler, Louis J. McWillie. Both Ruby and McWillie state that the trip was purely social, in January 1961, McWillie left Cuba with strong feelings of hostility to the Castro regime. In early 1963, Ruby purchased a pistol, which he shipped to McWillie in Nevada, but McWillie did not accept the package. 
The Commission has found no evidence that McWillie has engaged in any activities since leaving Cuba that are related to pro- or anti-Castro political movements, or that he was involved in Ruby's abortive Jeep transaction. The Commission has also received evidence that in April 1962, a telegram sent to Havana, Cuba, was charged to the business telephone of Earl Ruby, brother of Jack Ruby. Earl Ruby stated that he was unable to recall that telegram, but testified that he had never traveled to Cuba nor had any dealings with persons in Cuba. Jack Ruby is not known to have visited his brother at that time, and during that period Earl and Jack did not maintain a close relationship. Earl Ruby is not known to have been involved in any subversive activities. Finally, examination of FBI information relative to Cuban groups in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the year 1963 fails to disclose any person who might provide a link between Ruby and such groups. The Central Intelligence Agency has no information suggesting that Jack Ruby or any of his closest associates have been involved in any type of revolutionary or subversive Cuban activity. Possible Underworld Connections The Commission has investigated Ruby's possible criminal activities, looking with particular concern for evidence that he engaged in illegal activities with members of the organized underworld, or that on his own he was a promoter of illegal endeavors. The results of that investigation are more fully detailed in Appendix 16. Ruby was reared in a Chicago neighborhood where he became acquainted with local criminals and with persons who later became criminals. Throughout his life, Ruby's friendships with persons of that character were limited largely to professional gamblers, although his nightclub businesses brought him in contact with persons who had been convicted of other offenses. There is no credible evidence that Ruby himself gambled on other than a social basis, or that he had any unpaid gambling debts. He had never been charged with a felony prior to his attack on Oswald. His only encounters in Chicago stemmed from ticket scalping and the unauthorized sale of copyrighted music. And in Dallas, his law violations, excluding traffic charges, resulted from the operation of his clubs or outbursts of temper. Ruby has disclaimed that he was associated with organized criminal activities, and law enforcement agencies have confirmed that denial. Investigation of George Senator In addition to examining Ruby's own activities and background, the Commission has paid careful attention to the activities and background of George Senator, Ruby's roommate and one of his closest friends in Dallas, Senator was interrogated by staff members over a two-day period. He provided a detailed account of his own life and cooperated fully in all aspects of the Commission's inquiry into the activities of Jack Ruby. Senator was 50 years old at the time Ruby shot Oswald. He had been born September 4, 1913, in Gloversville, New York, and had received an eighth-grade education. Upon leaving school, he worked in Gloversville and New York City until about age 25. For the next few years, he worked in various restaurants and cafeterias in New York and Florida, until enlisting in the Army in August 1941. 
After his honorable discharge in September 1945, Senator was employed for most of the next 13 years selling inexpensive dresses throughout the South and Southwest. In the course of that employment, he moved to Dallas, where he met Jack Ruby while visiting Ruby's Vegas Club in about 1955 or 1956. Ruby was one of many who helped Senator when he encountered financial difficulties during the years 1958 to 1962. For a while in 1962, Ruby provided room and board in exchange for Senator's help in his clubs and apartment. In August 1963, Senator was unable to maintain his own apartment alone following his roommate's marriage. Ruby again offered to help and on November 1, 1963, Senator moved into Ruby's apartment. The Commission has found no evidence that Senator ever engaged in any political activities. Against this background, the Commission has evaluated Senator's account of his own activities on November 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. When questioned by Dallas and federal authorities hours after the shooting of Oswald, Senator omitted mention of having accompanied Ruby to photograph the Impeach Earl Warren sign on Saturday morning. Senator stated to Commission staff members that in the interviews of November 24th, he omitted that incident because of oversight. However, he spoke freely about it in his sworn testimony, and no inaccuracies have been noted in that portion of his testimony. Senator also failed to mention to the Commission and to previous interrogators that shortly after Ruby left their apartment Sunday morning, he called friends, Mr. and Mrs. William Downey, and offered to visit their apartment and make breakfast for them. Downey stated in June 1964 that Senator said he was alone and that after Downey declined the offer, Senator remarked that he would then go downtown for breakfast. When told of Downey's account, Senator denied it and explained that the two were not friendly by the time Senator left Dallas, about six weeks after the assassination. The Commission also experienced difficulty in ascertaining the activities of Senator on November 22nd and 23rd. He was unable to account specifically for large segments of time when he was not with Ruby, and as to places and people Senator says he visited on those days prior to the time Oswald was shot, the Commission has been unsuccessful in obtaining verification. Senator admitted that he had spent much of that time drinking, but denied that he was intoxicated. It is difficult to know with complete certainty whether Senator had any foreknowledge of the shooting of Oswald, Ruby testified that at about 10.15 a.m. on Sunday morning, November 24th, he said in Senator's presence, if something happened to this person, then Mrs. Kennedy wouldn't have to come back for the trial. According to Ruby, this is the most explicit statement he made concerning Oswald that morning. Senator denies any knowledge of Ruby's intentions. Senator's general response to the shooting was not like that of a person seeking to conceal his guilt. Shortly before it was known that Ruby was the slayer of Oswald, Senator visited the Eatwell restaurant in downtown Dallas. Upon being informed that Ruby was the attacker, Senator exclaimed, My God, in what appeared to be a genuinely surprised tone. He then ran to a telephone, 
returned to gulp down his coffee, and quickly departed. He drove promptly to the home of James Martin, an attorney and friend. Martin recalled that Senator's concern was for his friend Ruby and not for himself. Martin and Senator drove to the Dallas Police Department, where Senator voluntarily submitted himself to police questioning and gave interviews to newspaper and television reporters. The Commission has concluded, on the basis of its investigation into Senator's background, activities, and reaction to the shooting, that Senator did not aid or conspire with Jack Ruby in the killing of Oswald. Ruby's Activities Preceding President's Trip In addition to the broad investigation into Ruby's background and associations, the Commission delved particularly into Ruby's pattern of activities during the two months preceding President Kennedy's visit to Dallas, in order to determine whether there was unusual conduct which might be linked to the President's forthcoming trip. The Commission has been able to account specifically for Jack Ruby's presence in Dallas on every day after September 25, 1963, except five, September 29th, 30th, and October 11th, 14th, and 24th, and there is no evidence that he was out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area on those days. The report of one person who saw Ruby on September 28th indicates that Ruby probably remained in Dallas on September 29th and 30th, when Oswald was in Mexico City. The Commission has looked for but has found no evidence that Ruby traveled to Mexico at that time. Both Ruby and Ralph Paul have stated that Ruby did not leave the Dallas-Fort Worth area during September, October, or November 1963. During October and November of 1963, Jack Ruby maintained his usual vigorous pace of business activities. In particular, he directed considerable attention to his two nightclubs and to other business promotions, during the final month before the Kennedy trip, his time was increasingly occupied with personnel problems at both his clubs. There is no indication that he devoted less than full attention to these matters, or that he appeared preoccupied with other affairs. His acquaintances did feel that Ruby seemed depressed and concerned that his friends were deserting him. However, there were no signs of secretive conduct. Scrutiny of Ruby's activities during the several days preceding the President's arrival in Dallas has revealed no indication of any unusual activity. Ruby is remembered to have discussed the President's impending trip with only two persons and only briefly. Two newspapers containing a description of the expected motorcade routes through Dallas and Fort Worth were found in Ruby's car at the time of his arrest. However, such papers circulated widely in Dallas, and Ruby's car, like his apartment, was so cluttered with other newspapers, notebooks, brochures, cards, clothing, and personal items, that there is no reason to attach any significance to the papers. Aside from the results of the Commission's investigation reported above, there are other reasons to doubt that Jack Ruby would have shot Oswald as he did, if he had been involved in a conspiracy to carry out the assassination, or that he would have been delegated to perform the shooting of Oswald on behalf of others who were involved in the slaying of the president. By striking in the city jail, Ruby was certain to be apprehended. 
An attempt to silence Oswald by having Ruby kill him would have presented exceptionally grave dangers to any other persons involved in the scheme. If the attempt had failed, Oswald might have been moved to disclose his confederates to the authorities. If it succeeded, as it did, the additional killing might itself have produced a trail to them. Moreover, Ruby was regarded by most persons who knew him as moody and unstable, hardly one to have encouraged the confidence of persons involved in a sensitive conspiracy. Since his apprehension, Jack Ruby has provided the federal authorities with several detailed accounts of his activities, both preceding and following the assassination of President Kennedy. Ruby has shown no reluctance to answer any questions addressed to him. The accounts provided by Ruby are consistent with evidence available to the Commission from other sources. These additional considerations are thus fully consistent with the results of the Commission's investigation. Rumors of a connection between Ruby and Oswald have proved groundless, while examination of Ruby's background and associations, his behavior prior to the assassination, and his activities during the November 22nd to 24th weekend have yielded no evidence that Ruby conspired with anyone in planning or executing the killing of Lee Harvey Oswald. Whatever the legal culpability of Jack Ruby for his act of November 24th, the evidence is persuasive that he acted independently in shooting Oswald. Conclusion Based upon the evidence reviewed in this chapter, the Commission concluded that there is no credible evidence that Lee Harvey Oswald was part of a conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. Examination of the facts of the assassination itself revealed no indication that Oswald was aided in the planning or execution of his scheme. Review of Oswald's life and activities since 1959, although productive in illuminating the character of Lee Harvey Oswald, which is discussed in the next chapter, did not produce any meaningful evidence of a conspiracy. The Commission discovered no evidence that the Soviet Union or Cuba were involved in the assassination of President Kennedy, nor did the Commission's investigation of Jack Ruby produce any grounds for believing that Ruby's killing of Oswald was part of a conspiracy. The conclusion that there is no evidence of a conspiracy was also reached independently by Dean Rusk, the Secretary of State, Robert S. McNamara, the Secretary of Defense, C. Douglas Dillon, the Secretary of the Treasury, Robert F. Kennedy, the Attorney General, J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI, John A. McCone, the director of the CIA, and James J. Rowley, the chief of the Secret Service, on the basis of the information available to each of them. End of section 38. Recording by Maria Casper.